and uh, excited to open the word. I, I'm excited to be here. Uh, we've been, had the privilege of being at Harbor Waipahu since January and being able to meet the people and see what God's doing in the church plant there. And it's really cool to see the DNA of Harbor Town now for the first time and then being able to see it uh, flushed out there in Waipahu. It's awesome. You're doing a great job in proclaiming the gospel and sending people to start churches in Hawaii. So praise God for that. Well, I'm, I'm going to dive into the Word because I want overtime a little bit this morning, and I don't want to do that for you guys. And uh, uh, take your Bibles, Exodus chapter 3, Hebrews 11. We're going to be there first, and then Exodus chapter 3 and Exodus chapter 33 and 34. And there's so much to cover in the life of Moses, but we're going to just jump in and hopefully get to Exodus 33 and 34, where the crux of our message will be. Hebrews 11, verses 24 to 29 By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible." By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. When Moses chose to risk his life and leave behind the privileges, the wealth, and pleasures of Egypt, he did it because he he thought it through. He considered it. He reasoned it in his mind in verse 26. The suffering that he was going to face was greater wealth than actually the treasure and wealth of Egypt. The assumption is that the Jews, from the Jews' mindset, that Moses is the model of the law. In fact, we would call it the Mosaic law or the law of Moses. And and so the Jews would assume that if anybody was a legalist, it would be Moses, right? But it's amazing to to read here in Hebrews 11 that Moses operated by faith. Hebrews 11 verse 1 describes this faith and defines it for us. Now, faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. This is is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. And so we know that, that Moses saw the invisible God. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But all throughout Moses' life, from, from the time he was in Egypt all the way until Exodus 33, 34, Moses made choices from his faith. It was a series of choices. In fact, verse 25 uses the word choosing. And so his life mark was marked by choices related to his faith and it extends way beyond what Moses, um, beyond Moses, because this is actually a good way to look at life for all of us. Because genuine saving faith involves a choice. If you have a true and saving faith, then you make choices. There there are certain things that you accept, and there are certain things that you reject. And they're really demonstrated for us here in the life of Moses. And at some point, Moses chose to believe in the God of his fathers. He never saw him. He never understood why his mom would give him up to the Egyptians and why God would even allow babies to be murdered. 
There was a considering that the reproach of Christ was greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. So they're all models of faith to one degree or or another. And and now we look at Moses and he shows us how faith acts in terms of the choices that it makes. And it's a basic way to look at life. Life is a series of choices that you and I made. You made a choice to come here this morning. And hopefully by faith, you made a choice to say, God, would you show me yourself this morning through the preaching of the word? But we also have bad choices that we make. We all can make bad choices, it's true. Sin is always a bad choice. And our lives are marked by choices. And so we either will grasp the opportunity for the glory of God and and choose the way of God, the way of truth, the way of righteousness, or we choose the way of the flesh, the way of the world, and the way of Satan. This is life. Joshua even said this in Joshua 24, 15. He says, says, and if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord... Choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will do what? We'll serve the Lord. In 1 Kings 18, 21, Elijah said this in front of all of Israel. And then one of the the most awesome miracles in the Old Testament, when he said, he said to them, how long do you halt between two opinions? If, If the Lord is God, follow him. If it's Baal, then follow him. And the people answered not a word. And that was right before God just unleashed fire from heaven, which was pretty awesome. But there was a choice. Are you going to believe God or not? And so we look at Moses and Moses made the right choice. He chose to believe God. He chose God's way. He chose to believe the revelation of God, the word of God, and and then in turn to live a life of faith. And so faith is demonstrated in choices, things we accept or reject. And so let's look here at verse 27 of Hebrews 11. It says, by faith, Moses saw the invisible God. He endured as seeing him who is invisible. Now, this is actually talking about the time Moses fled uh, uh, from when he killed the Egyptian and he fled away. And and this was way before uh, God spoke to him at the burning bush. And it doesn't say that, that Moses didn't literally see God, but it says that Moses had faith in the God of his fathers and he moved as though he saw God in faith. The invisible God, the evidence of things not having been seen. By faith, he left Egypt seeing the invisible one with inner eyes of faith. It's amazing. Because this inner eyes of faith, seeing the invisible one is what actually helped him to make the right choice, to actually bear the reproach. Bear the reproach that he would would bear, the kind of reproach that is actually the same characteristic of Christ, who we sang about was infinitely rich and infinitely privileged and satisfied in the presence of his father and set it all aside to do the will of his father, to come down to be mistreated by his own people. And in that sense, he's like Christ. We learned last week that about the obedience of Abraham, and we know that to obey is actually hard, to go to a place that you don't know. You don't know where you're headed. And oftentimes, in the point of obedience by faith, it might be years down the road before there's even an explanation for what God has asked us to obey And all that space in between is actually faith. We're gonna believe you. We don't understand what you're doing. I don't understand why we're in this moment or this space that we're in. 
And this is the Christian life. It begins with obedience, and then there's faith. So Moses, by faith, saw the invisible one. He chose to believe in the God of his fathers. And then number two, God revealed himself to Moses. What an amazing moment it must have been. Look at Exodus chapter three, verses two through six, and let's read it here. And this is an an awesome moment in the, the burning bush where God speaks to Moses. And it says, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight. Why the bush is not burned? When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. This was an amazing experience. I mean, it changed Moses. We know the story that this was where God is calling Moses to, be, to help deliver his people out of Egypt and to tell Pharaoh, tell him that I am sent you. The name of God, that Jehovah God sent you. And so the confidence now he had to obey the call of God on his life was unbelievable. I don't know about you, but I'd, I'd have some pretty good confidence after this experience to actually walk by faith into the palace of Pharaoh and say, what God's telling me to do, to demand that he let God's people go. Sure, he made excuses, but God revealed himself to Moses in a way that he was able to draw upon during some pretty difficult days that were ahead. Think about the exodus of Israel from Egypt, which we sang about this morning. The presence of God was leading Moses and the Israelites through the the wilderness. And what did God use to lead them? A pillar of cloud by day and what? and a pillar of fire by night. Now, this wasn't just a nice little cute little thing that we color about in children's church. This was the very presence of God that was leading them. And so, he, so Moses had this experience that, that he was still in the presence of God, this pillar of fire and cloud by day and night that revealed himself in the bush. And afterwards, it, he revealed himself on Mount Sinai amidst thunder and lightning. The sign of the presence of God did not depart from Israel even while the children of Israel were in the wilderness. God revealed himself to Moses. But then look at Exodus chapter 33. Here we are at the foot of Mount Sinai. God's presence came over it as a thick cloud and the very mountain trembled with fire and smoke. And it was Moses who told the people, what? Don't be afraid. And the people were too scared to go near. It was Moses who climbed up that mountain by speaking by himself to speak with God on their behalf. It was Moses who asked God, please show me your glory and received a, a passing glance at the back of God as he was hid in the cleft of the rock. It was Moses who received the 10 commandments. And it was Moses who destroyed the 10 commandments in anger when he saw the Israelites worshiping the golden calf. It was also Moses who went right back up to Mount Sinai and pleaded on behalf of his people. And it was Moses, after now a total of 80 days with God, whose face was radiant with light as he came down the mountain carrying the second set of commandments. 
So what did God reveal to Moses about himself? This wasn't just a show. It wasn't just some spectacular event. It was a supernatural event. And this is what God does in us. He, when he shows himself to us, it's a supernatural thing that actually opens the eyes of, 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 of darkness and opens it to light. And, and we're able to see his grace. We're able to see who he is in, in being the rescuer and redeemer of our lives. So look at verse 17 of Exodus chapter 33. And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do for you have found favor in my sight and I know you by name, which is awesome. It's comforting to know that, that God knows us. And he knows Moses, and, he, and Moses said to him, please show me your glory. And then God says, I will make all my goodness pass before you, all my goodness, and I will proclaim before you my name the Lord, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen no human could survive seeing the face of God, but God revealed himself to Moses. A.W. Tozer wrote in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, what you think about when you think about God is the most important thing about you. And then he says, the most determining fact about any man is not what he at a given time may say or do, but what he is in his deep heart conceives God to be like. What do you think about when you think about God? And where did you get those ideas? This is important. We all have ideas about God. You might have, you might have walked in and walked up these stairs into this, this church this morning with an idea of who God is. But what, where do you get those ideas? Because what we think about, what we reason in our mind and believe about God is then how, how it's flushed out and how we live by faith. Here we see God telling Moses who he is. Think about it. Moses had everything. He was the prince of Egypt. And, and then he had it all taken away. And here he is on the mountain alone with God and he had nothing else but him. And he's asking him, please show me your glory. And then look at Exodus 34, because God then shows Moses who he is. Look at verse five. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. 
God revealed his divine name to Moses, the Lord Jehovah, Yahweh. I am who I am, the eternal unchanging God. God's presence and power is in his name. And when God passed in front of Moses, it did not say that Moses saw brightness. It says that he heard a proclamation. God proclaimed his name. There's no passage of scripture where you see more clearly what it is like to be in the presence of God. We also need to remember that God didn't just stop revealing himself here in Exodus 34. But even today, we, we've walked in with, with this book right here, the revealed word of God to us. This is actually his voice box to us. It's not a textbook. It's actually what he, what he uses to speak to us, the very presence of God. Now, what did God reveal to Moses? Well, he proclaimed his name, Yahweh. We've seen this many times where you see the, the word Lord in all caps, and it's not the Hebrew word Adonai or Lord, but in the Hebrew, it's the very personal name of God. I am that I am, who was and is and is to come. He proclaimed his name, Yahweh, Yahweh, God. And what is Yahweh God like? You have, to, you, have, you have to believe that the first words that come out of his mouth when he begins to describe himself are important. Like he's just not like using a, a little startup to get there. He just says the most important thing about himself. God tells us who he is. What is it that reflects the glory of God? What is he more than anything else? He proclaims his name and his character. So what is it? Number one, he proclaims his compassion. He's a compassionate God. It's the first word that comes out of his mouth. It's awesome. It's from the Hebrew word raham, which is the same root for the word womb. And it's, it describes the tender love of a mom for her baby. So the Bible says that God has that compassionate, mother-like love for us. I think this is so important. The first word he uses to describe himself is compassionate. It's not an afterthought. It's the beginning. As God tells us who he is, it's the first quality he uses. What was your first thought of who God is? I mean, he could have used omniscient. He could have used omnipotent. He could have used even the word judge. Maybe you've thought that, that God is just... He's holding things. He knows everything about me, and I'm, I'm so scared. But the very first word he uses is compassion. You see how comforting that is? And it should actually challenge the way that many of us see God. What's the first word that comes to your mind when you think of God? Some of us maybe immediately cringe with fear. Some of us think of judgment. Some of us think of maybe the shortcomings or failures of our parents, our earthly parents. And so we kind of equate that with our view of God. And, and so we've had authority in the past or people that have wronged us in the past. And so that's just the way that we view God. And, and understand this, that 
Yahweh God is the, the God of compassion, just like the prodigal, uh, the son that came back to his father and his arms were wide open. Compassionate. But then number two, he proclaims that he is gracious. This Hebrew word, actually, it, 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 it's the same as the name for Hannah and John or Sean, the root means to bend or to be inclined. It means to incline yourself to help someone. An action from a superior down to an inferior person who has no real need claim for gracious treatment, yet he comes down and inclines himself to help that person. It's used more, more of God than anywhere else in the Bible. God is the gracious one. He's gracious to you. He is inclined to want to help you and me to treat us better than we deserve. But then number three, he, he actually proclaims then he's slow to anger. This is the same word in 1 Corinthians 13 that, that, that's used to describe his patience and the kind of patience that we ought, we ought to have for others. It's this idea of having a long fuse Love has a long fuse, but what's significant for us here is that's what God says about himself to us. He's so patient with us, and he's proclaiming this to Moses, slow to anger. We can take comfort in that this morning. Aren't you thankful that God is patient with you? I am. Because I'm studying for this message about this radiant faith, and I'm just like, man, I don't even have this kind of faith, like... I probably would have buckled under the first like, threat down in Egypt with, in, in the palace. And all the plagues, man, life becomes uncomfortable and difficult, and here I am. But he's patient. He knows where we're at, and he knows where he wants to take us, and he, he's gonna help us throughout, throughout this faith journey. But then he says he's, he's full of steadfast love and loving kindness, has said. It's one of, the, one of the unbelievable words in the Hebrew vocabulary to show goodness and mercy, not because someone deserves it, but because the giver graciously chooses to give it. There's no shortage of grace and love with God. And he's proclaiming this to Moses. I mean, he's proclaiming it I'll show you my glory. I'll show you who I am. And then he finishes off with some truth. He says, for forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. This is awesome because in his compassion and his grace and his steadfast love for us, he forgives us of all of our sin, past, present, and future. And we come to him in repentance and we come to him in, in, in faith. He forgives us. There's no other way of salvation for us. When you get past all the compassion and grace and love in Exodus 34, you will find yet, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. God is a loving, compassionate God, but he also is a holy and just God. And, and so he provided a way for the punishment to be on his son, that his son would take upon himself for us, for all those who believe. And those who don't believe will be punished. 
So if you walk past his compassion and his grace and his long fuse patience and his unbelievable loving kindness and his mercy and his forgiveness, then you will find his judgment. One thing you can be sure of, because he tells us this here, he, he must punish sin. If you reject what Jesus did on the cross, you will receive the punishment. But if you do, you have, to, you have to actually wade through all this love and grace and mercy that he's pouring out on us first because he tells us that he is a gracious, loving, merciful God. If you look throughout scripture, all, all of God's power is bound up in his name. It's a name by which we are saved. It's the first sermon that Peter preached after Jesus died in Acts 2, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, on the name of the Lord will be saved. Calling out on the name of Jesus is how God raised his son from the dead. Jesus' name is the name to which one day the knee of every person, every creature in this universe will bow in Philippians 2. Therefore, God has bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And this is why we come and we sing as Christians the name of Jesus that brings comfort and and there's power in his name when we sing lost are saved, find their way at the sound of your great name. Every fear has no place at the sound of your great name. The enemy, he has to leave at the sound of your great name. There's power in his name. And so when he proclaims this and reveals this to Moses, what an awesome moment. But what was Moses' response to this revelation? What well, says here in the next verse, Moses' faith response was actually, it says, Moses made haste to bow toward the earth and worship. Humble worship, genuine worship by faith is always full of humility because it's recognizing who God is and, and who we really are. This is what Isaiah did in Isaiah chapter six. When he saw God for who he was, high and lifted up, he actually saw himself. Woe is me, I'm a man undone, a man of unclean lifts. And he, and he bows down in, in humility. And then God goes, okay, go. Of course, you wouldn't expect to see God's glory radiating on someone if that person has never truly met with God. And what happens is Moses comes down the mountain and there was a difference. Exodus chapter 34, verse 33 to 35, towards the end now says, and when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining. And Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. Have you ever sung that song, This Little Light of Mine, I'm Gonna Let It Shine? And then, and then you would sing, Hide It Under a... No! But here it is, Moses is actually, he, he, he covers his face, and then when he goes in the presence of God, he takes off the veil. But why did he do that? Why did he put a veil over his face? Well, Paul said this to the Corinthians 
about the veil Moses wore in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13, not like Moses who had put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. Another translation would actually say, we are not like Moses who had to put a veil over his face so that the people of Israel would not see the brightness fade and disappear. The glory was disappearing and Moses did not want to see it come to an end. I mean, do we fault Moses for that? I wouldn't. I mean, like, what an unbelievable, unbelievable experience with God. He's like, I don't want this to end. He was worried that the glory of God shining on his face was disappearing and Moses didn't want, to see, want the people to see that it was fading away. He didn't want them to see that he wasn't reflecting God's glory anymore and it was just plain old Moses again. So he put on a veil and he put on a mask so the people would think that the glory was still there. That meant that the people didn't notice the glory of God fading away, but it also meant they couldn't see the glory while it was shining. And maybe that's sometimes the reason we don't see as much of the glory of the Lord in our lives or in our churches today. Because we put on our own veil. We put on our own masks. God rescues and saves us, and through faith in Jesus and repentance from our sins, we have the Spirit of God living inside of us. We have the very voice of God in his written word, and we get to read it and hear from him every day, but then we put on a mask so people can't really see, and the blessing fades, and we face problems and storms, and we go through hard times, and God seems far away. And then we put on a mask of everything's okay, nothing's changed, and we keep up these appearances every day or every Sunday. We hide our true selves behind a mask, pretending that the glory is still there. And you know, you might've had a great experience with God like last month, but do you know that God wants us to experience him every single day? And so we don't dwell on that. We actually get to experience more of him. And perhaps we are afraid that other Christians won't understand. Maybe we think that they'll look down on us and even reject us when they find out what's really going on inside. So we put on our own veil and our mask so people can't see the real me and we don't talk about our struggles. We don't talk about our discouragements. When people ask how we're doing, we say, fine, good, good. But the masks or the veil that we wear to hide our real selves actually keep our radiant faith in God from shining brightly. And so here in closing, I just want to give four applications here. What, is, what do those masks do? What do those veils, what does that veil do when we put it over us? It keeps us from living by faith, but actually from seeing God properly. We will only meet with God when we come to him as we really are. Even Moses took his veil off when he met with God. It's the, those kinds of masks of respectability which stop the Pharisees from recognizing the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Can you see God? When we see God for who he really is, we are okay that he can see us for who we really are because he's full of compassion. And he wraps himself around us and he says, it's okay. I'm gonna help you. But it also keeps us from loving others by faith. You have a hard time loving others? If we want to be certain that God loves us and accepts us the way we really are, we need to be real with other people. 
no masks. That way we can accept each other and love each other openly and honestly, and that's what's awesome about this church. You have, you have in your DNA community groups and small groups that you're able to do life with, and it's not just, it's, it's awesome. We get to eat together, but when we eat together, we're able to talk openly about who we really are. And if there's no judging, there's freedom. When we take off the mask and we see God for who he really is, then we know who we really are. But then number three, what happens when we, when we put the masks on is that it keeps us from growing in faith. Why am I not growing? God wants to give us a new life to live. He isn't interested in just cosmetic surgery, but, but heart surgery, transforming our hearts to be like Jesus. God can't change us if all we really care about is keeping up with our appearances. He knows us. And he knows the areas of our life that we need to grow in. Man, I, I'll just be honest real quick that this, these past couple of years have been probably the hardest years for our family. To be in a space where you don't really know where you're supposed to go and what you're supposed to do, and yet, yet it's the very place God wants us. And we never know what he's doing, but he's doing a thousand different things at one time. But there's a part of faith that he wants to, us to grow in. And when we take it off and we stop trying to pretend, he's able to do that. But then lastly, it keeps others from seeing our lives of faith. The Israelites couldn't even see it shining, his face shining. He covered it. Man, if he would have, I don't know, if he would have taken the veil off, man, what effect would have would, would, would it have had on the Israelites like every moment of every day just seeing this glow, like, wow, this is pretty amazing. It would have reminded them of this experience he had on the mountain. But if we're only pretending to be like Christ when inside we aren't, if it's all for show, then we won't be able to reflect God's glory and people won't see Jesus in us. Radiant faith is faith that is seen. It's not pretending faith. This is, this is what happens when people walk up to somebody that is living by faith and there's something different. It's unexplainable. You can't even begin to explain what's going on in their lives. There's something different. They're pilgrims and strangers living on this earth. This is the other side to the coin of faith. It's just, it isn't just a mental state that we're reasoning and we're considering, but it's faith that it's seen, it's visible. It's obvious that there's something going on the choices that are being made. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom, we sang about that. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. And it's only when we take our masks off that God can transform us, transform us into the image of Jesus with ever-increasing glory. There's a song that, that is an old song, and I'll close with this, but we used to sing it, but they've added a new chorus to it. And you might have sung it, but it, just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. And that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. 
just as I am and waiting not to rid my soul of one dark blot to thee whose blood can cleanse each spot, O Lamb of God, I come. And then it says, I come broken to be mended. I come wounded to be healed. I come desperate to be rescued. I come empty to be filled. I come guilty to be pardoned by the blood of Christ the Lamb. And I'm welcomed with open arms. Praise God just as I am. Just as I am, I would be lost, but mercy and grace, my freedom bought. And now to glory in your cross. O Lamb of God, I come. Moses wore a veil so that the Israelites couldn't see that the glory of God had faded away. We need to take off our masks if we want to see the glory of God in our church and in our island because we all come broken, guilty, wounded, desperate, empty. Talk to so many people who don't want to go to church anymore because they've been hurt and hurting people hurt people. We're all messed up. But there is one more faithful than Moses. It's Jesus. And his blood on the cross has made a way to behold him every moment of every day. Show me your glory. You've made a way to the throne of grace to be able to make choices of faith to behold him, to come and adore him. And this, then what happens is that God begins a radiant life of faith in you. In verse 29, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the commandments in his hands, he was not even aware that his face was radiant. I think that's an amazing picture. When we get to meet with God every single day and we behold his glory through his word, we reflect it to others and we sometimes don't even, we aren't even aware that we're reflecting it because it's so powerful. And that's what happens. And sometimes we want the instantaneous change. We want to see it happen, but it's a, it's a process of time, of obedience. And we trust in the Lord and we, we, we walk with him every single day and he begins this work in us that's unbelievable. And all of a sudden people look at you and go, something's different because you're shining and reflecting the glory of God to others. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes this morning? Do you want to see God? To love him more fully and to sense his glory? If you want to know God this morning, do what Moses did. Ask for it. Put yourself in a position to encounter him. Ask him to show himself to you. Every story is about him in this awesome, revealed, written word of God that we have. Father, thank you this morning for the story of your radiant, your, your glory shining on Moses and the radiance that shone out of his face and life because of this experience. What greater, what greater opportunities we have right now because we know Jesus has come and, and he rescued us from our sins through, the, through his death on the cross and his resurrection and he sits at your right hand and we have the ability and privilege through your revealed word to know you to spend time with you, to love you and adore you so that your radiance can shine through us. 
we come broken and hurting. May this place, may people here this morning sense your presence. May they come and behold you and be changed this morning. If they don't know you as their Savior, would you draw them to yourself, open up the eyes of their, of their understanding, draw them to yourself this morning for your name's sake. Amen.